Well, a few years ago, I was approached by someone uh, who was very concerned that here at the Vineyard, we encourage people that while we are praying for physical healing for their bodies, that they should continue taking their medications as prescribed by the doctor and that they should continue being treated by their physician. Uh, The person shared that they believed that this uh, showed evidence of doubt and unbelief, uh, both on the part of the person who was needing to be healed and on the part of the church leadership for encouraging uh, such an approach. And they shared that they felt as though this virtually guaranteed that the person would not be healed uh, as the Bible promises because they simply were not exercising enough faith by continuing to take their medication and go to the doctor. In many churches that believe God heals people, which by the way, we here at the Vineyard are a church that believe God uh, heals people. Uh, Unfortunately, this is not uncommon though in churches who believe in the healing power of God. Uh, A lady in the church that Michelle and I attended early in our marriage, years after we had left the church, she was diagnosed with cancer. She and her husband were people who believed that God healed people even today. And they believed that the key to receiving healing was having enough faith defined this way, refusing any doubt, claiming the healing as if it had already happened, and then living as if she had been healed, which included refusing any medical treatment. When evidence mounted that, in fact, she was not healed, they simply took it as a test of their faith. Would they believe the doctor, or would they believe that the woman was healed? They continued to refuse to accept any outcome other than healing. Uh, They continued to claim that she was healed, knowing that if they just had enough faith, it would be true. And they continued this way until she died. This is what I call toxic faith. And toxic faith can be seen in other areas as well. There are a number of churches here in the Columbus area and uh, all around the nation and world that, uh, that teach that financial blessing is secured by believing that it is coming to us, claiming financial blessing as yours, sowing seeds of faith into said church, and then through faith, basically willing financial blessing to be yours. When financial blessing does not come, it's often presented as simply a test of faith. And so people are encouraged to refuse doubt, continue to believe, and the blessing is just around the corner. I used to manage apartments uh, on the north end of Columbus, and there were a couple of churches not too far from where I managed that taught this type of thing. And a number of residents where I uh, managed would write on their rent check just above the signature line, money cometh to, and then they would sign their name. And the reason they did this is because the church taught that this, uh, this positive confession would have some uh, way of bringing money to them. So we would get all these rent checks that say money cometh to uh, Joe Smith. Sally Jones. They also did this in their church services. 
Whenever it was time to receive the offering, everyone was asked to stand. They were asked to uh, pretend as though they were reaching down into a bucket of money. And then they were to say, money cometh to, they were to pull the money out of the bucket, me. I've considered trying this here and just seeing what your reaction would be. But I know you well enough that there probably wouldn't be many of you here next week. So we're not, we're not going to do that. But they had been taught by their church to do this. And that this positive confession, done enough, believed enough, would result in money coming to them. So I refer to this as toxic faith. And let me try to define that a little bit. It is the teaching that if you simply have enough faith, whatever you have faith for will, must, become a reality. You can do whatever you set your mind to do if you'll simply believe that you can do it, believe that it will be so. Any problem can be fixed if you simply have enough faith that it can be fixed. Larry Osborne describes it very well. He says of this understanding of faith, the word on the street is that faith is a potent mixture of intellectual and emotional self-control that when properly harnessed can literally change outcomes through positive thinking and clear visualization. Toxic faith, in my view, is basically a Tony Robbins philosophy of life. Are you familiar with Tony Robbins? Tony Robbins? He was more popular, I think, in the, in the 90s, which I continually have to remind myself is pretty long ago now. <laughs> but it's basically a Tony Robbins philosophy of life with the word Christian stamped above it and a few misused and misunderstood Bible verses thrown in so that that stamp can go there. It essentially amounts to mind over matter. What? You feel sick? Deny it. Claim you're healed. And you will be. What? You can't pay your bills? Speak money into your life. By faith, claim that money is coming your way and it will. Refuse any evidence that's contrary to your desired outcome and that evidence must disappear. I think toxic faith is when a person moves from having faith in God to having faith in faith. I just believe. I refuse all doubt. And any problem can be fixed. Any challenge can be overcome. Any goal can be achieved. So what is the problem with believing that faith can fix anything? Why is that toxic? Well, I think there are a number of problems with believing this. Here's a a really important one, the Bible does not teach it. The Bible commends faith. It commends faith in God, but it does not commend faith in faith. It it doesn't present faith as intellectual and emotional self-control that when properly harnessed can literally change outcomes through positive thinking and clear visualization. Now, we just did an entire series on faith at the beginning of this uh, year, Uh, We talked about uh, trusting God enough to take God-inspired risk. Yet if you look at the examples of those people of faith that we dealt with, and I believe we tried to highlight this throughout the series, take Gideon, for example. 
He did not gain victory through positive thinking and clear visualization. He did not lead Israel to victory by refusing all negative thoughts and deciding that a positive mental attitude was his key to victory. He led Israel to victory because he had faith in God in spite of much personal uncertainty and what we might objectively call doubt. The Bible tells us of the great apostle Paul having what's referred to as a thorn in the flesh. No one really knows what it was. He wasn't married, so one option has been ruled out. Um, just, Just a little joke. Just a little joke. Some of you are really serious. I I don't want to look up again after seeing some of the expressions. Just a little joke. But we don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. But we know that it troubled Paul enough that he asked God three times to take it away. But it wasn't taken away. I don't think anybody wants to go on record as saying that the problem was that the Apostle Paul lacked faith. And the examples could go on and on, and I'm going to give you some more here in a few minutes. But the Bible simply does not teach this view of faith. In addition to the Bible not teaching it, our experience does not support this view of faith. I believe that that man that I just mentioned a few minutes ago and his wife probably exercised as much faith as they could. Because I knew this man relatively well, I believe that he was convinced that God had healed his wife and that all he had to do was believe it. I think he came as close as anyone could to to having succeeded in believing that. He probably came as close as a person could come to removing all doubt from his mind, and yet his wife died. Those people who lived in the apartments I managed, many of them sincerely believed that by writing money cometh on their checks and loudly vocalizing this during their church services, that money really would come to them. And yet, in every case that I knew of, they worked, they they provided a meager living for their family, but the huge financial harvest that they expected never came. I've known a number of Christians uh, who were faced with the, the impending death of a loved one who would, who would proclaim with as much faith as they would, could, uh, could muster up, you will live and you will not die. And yet the person died. They mustered as much faith as they could. They refused as much doubt as they could drive out of their mind. They claimed what they believed was theirs to claim, but they found out that their understanding of faith did not bring about the outcome that they thought it would. Now, I have to offer a disclaimer here. Our experience is not the final word on what is true and what isn't true. Uh, I have not personally witnessed someone being raised from the dead, but I do believe God can and does raise people from the dead. I've heard reports in other countries of such things happening, and even though I've never been able to personally verify those reports, I do believe them. And so even, in my personal, even though in my personal experience I've not seen it, I believe that God can raise people from the dead, that he does because the Bible tells me it's so. And while my own experience has not borne it out, I believe the reports that I have heard. 
John Wimber, who was uh, used by God, and by the way, was the founder of the vineyard, uh, was used by God in an incredible healing ministry. He, he told how he prayed for 1,000 people to receive healing, and nobody was healed. And after the thousandth person, he got a little discouraged. <laughs> That's pretty commendable that it took a thousand attempts before he got uh, discouraged. And so he went to God and, and kind of complained about this. And he said that uh, he felt the Holy Spirit speak to him and say, uh, Will you believe what I have shown you in my word? Or are you going to base everything on your personal experience? And so he decided to continue to believe God over his experience. He kept praying, and he began to see many people receive healing. But not everyone. Not everyone was healed. Lots of people were. Not everyone. He came to everyone he he, uh, prayed with, with uh, a certain amount of faith. Not everyone was healed. And John Wimber himself died at the relatively young age of 63 from falling down some steps. And at the time he fell down the steps, he was battling cancer, inoperable. Believed God could heal, saw God heal, but not everyone, not himself. The Bible does not teach faith as some type of positive thinking, doubt-refusing, mind-over-matter exercise. But that is what many sincere Christians have bought into, and that is the understanding of faith that I believe is toxic. The problem with believing faith can fix anything is that the Bible doesn't teach it, our experience doesn't support it, and because of those things, when people believe it, they are setting themselves up for disappointment and disillusionment. They become disappointed with God because they are convinced that God promised them something that it seems as though God did not deliver on. They set themselves up for becoming disillusioned because there are dangerous conclusions that people reach when they practice this form of faith that I'm calling toxic, when things don't work out as they hoped. One of two dangerous conclusions are often reached by people who are in this situation. Here is the first dangerous conclusion. I didn't have enough faith. My faith was too weak. My faith was defective. I was too weak and defective to receive the outcome that I desired. Here's what this amounts to. It is my fault. It's my fault dad died. It's my fault grandma never recovered. It's my fault. People conclude that it is their fault. And friends, that is a heavy load to bear. It's hard to carry that around when you think, if I could have just had enough faith, dad would still be here. Mom would still be alive. Grandma would still be alive. It's a heavy load. Not only does toxic faith cause us to draw dangerous conclusions like this, but in uh, many cases it causes people to avoid having conversations they ought to have. 
You know, there is a time to say uh, things that you would say when death is approaching. There is a time when we need to accept that death is imminent. But toxic faith causes us to avoid conversations that people ought to have. We do things like this. Well, I can't tell grandma what I would tell her if she was really going to die because to do that is a lack of faith and might actually contribute to her dying. This is real stuff. This may not be the experience of all of you here today, but some of you relate to what I am saying. I know these things from experience. People do not have conversations they ought to have because they are afraid it shows a lack of faith and somehow will flip off the switch of healing for their loved one. And then grandma dies and you're left with a heartache of not having said what you wanted to say. Not having told her what you wanted her to know. Not giving her the opportunity to tell you. And this causes great pain. The second dangerous conclusion people come to is this. God doesn't keep his word. He said that if I just have enough faith, if I just believed, if I just acted as though it had already happened, which actually he didn't say, but this is what we think. I did all of that and God failed me. And people become angry with God. Larry Osborne tells of a friend of his, and I've seen this happen firsthand, who bought into this concept of faith, and though his wife was nearing death, he refused to entertain the possibility. He walked into the room where she was literally within days of dying and talked about the future vacations they'd take, the home remodels that they'd undertake, and the cookouts that they were going to have in their backyard. And when she died, Osborne says, for years this man limped along spiritually disillusioned with God, disillusioned with prayer, and disillusioned with the impotence of faith. And some people go beyond that. And they simply walk away from God altogether. Walk away from faith altogether. They conclude that the Bible isn't true, that God is either not all-powerful or not reliable to keep his word, and they turn away. But the problem with all of this, friends, is that the Bible doesn't say any of this. The problem here isn't the Bible. The problem isn't God. The problem is that people embrace a concept of faith that simply is not true, and it can be demonstrated biblically that this concept of faith isn't true. Now, I've already shared about Paul and Gideon, but There are many examples in Scripture that disprove this toxic understanding of faith. One of them is Acts 12, 1 through 16. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read all of those verses here today, but I want to highlight a couple of selected verses. Peter was arrested and placed in prison. Acts 12, 5 says this, So Peter was kept in prison... But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And as the church is praying, the Lord appears to Peter, an angel of the Lord appears to Peter, wakes him up, and causes the chains that have him bound to fall off. The angel then escorts Peter 
out of the prison and he is free. He makes his way to the house where the church is assembled praying for him and he knocks on the door. The servant girl answered the door, recognized his voice, and ran back into the house without letting him in. She was so excited and announced to the church, Peter is at the door. And we see their response in verses 15 and 16. They say to the girl, you're out of your mind. She kept insisting that it was so. And so they came up with a rationalization. It must be his angel. Verse 16 tells us, but Peter kept knocking. When When they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. The answered prayer was at the door. And they could not believe it. God answered the prayer of the church. Evidently, they had very little faith as defined by refusing doubt, thinking positive, and willing the desired outcome. Hebrews 11, the Faith Hall of Fame that we spent several weeks touching on, tells both of people whose faith resulted in great things, deliverances, you know, kingdoms won, lions muzzled, flames quenched, weakness turned to strength, and enemies routed. But it also tells of people who had great faith, are commended for their great faith, who were tortured, jeered, flogged, imprisoned, stoned, sawed in two, and put to death by the sword. Here's how Hebrews 11, uh, 36 through 40 explains it. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in vain in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together uh, with us would they be made perfect. Translation. In the long run, in eternity, everything is going to work out really well for them. But in the short term, things did not go well at all. Their faith in God did not bring them deliverance, but destitution and death. And what you have to understand is these were not faith's rejects. These were not faith's losers. These were not people who couldn't work up enough confidence in God. These were men and women whose faith in God was applauded by God. But in this life, in their earthly circumstances, their faith didn't fix anything. In some cases, it made it worse. I don't know how you can read the Bible with information like this and conclude that if you just have enough faith, everything will turn out great for you in this present life or this present circumstance. Even in the cases of Heroes of faith that things turned out well for. It was not always a result of their refusing doubt, thinking positively and visualizing a positive outcome as if they already had it. My go-to example, if you've 
been here at the church for very long at all, you've likely heard me uh, say this, and you're going to hear it multiple times before we're done here today, but my go-to example is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When confronted with a fiery furnace, death, for refusing to bow to the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, they said this in Daniel three sixteen through 18, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. The toxic faith crowd, of course, they wouldn't describe themselves that way, but here's how they'd respond to someone saying exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. But if not, what? There's no faith in that. How do you expect God to deliver you with that kind of lack of faith? I see a few well-meaning friends of mine on Facebook from time to time, proclaiming the need to rid a room of all doubt if you want to see God come through. Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to be left? (laughs) Those praying for Peter had doubt. No perfect faith there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego allowed for the possibility that, my, that God might have a different plan than the one they thought he had. This notion that faith is intellectual and emotional self-control that when properly harnessed literally changes outcomes through positive thinking and clear visualization is repeatedly disproven scripturally and disproven through the experiences of even the heroes of faith. And when we see strong evidence like this telling us that this understanding of faith is off base, we need to be willing to reject and let go of this really dangerous wrong idea. This dangerous idea that disappoints and disillusions so many people that maybe has disappointed and disillusioned you. But I can't treat this subject in any kind of fair way, I don't think, without acknowledging that there are some things we need to wrestle with. While this concept of faith needs to be rejected, we cannot reject that Scripture does show, does support that there is a connection between faith and answered prayer. And here is where we have to do something that if you've been at this church very long, you've likely heard me talk about, we have to hold truths in tension. Here's how most theological errors occur. It is when somebody reads something that is true from Scripture, then reads something else in Scripture that at least on the surface seems to contradict or conflict with it in some way. And so to uphold the first truth that they discovered and they love so much, they decide that they can only do that by explaining away the second truth that Scripture shared with them. Of course, the classic example of this is the doctrine of the Trinity, how we understand uh, the person of God. You see, the Bible reveals to us that God is Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. Christians refer to this as the three persons of the Godhead. But the Bible also very clearly, just just extremely clearly, teaches that there is only one God. And so errors occurred in the understanding of God when some Christians have read these passages that refer to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and have concluded that there are three gods, denying that the Bible clearly teaches that there is only one God. Error has also occurred when Christians have read the passages that teach there is one God and have then rejected or attempted to explain away the passages that reveal that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what we have to do as Christians, as people who submit our lives to the the Word of God, is we have to affirm everything that the Bible affirms. So so people who want to be true to the teachings of the Bible don't reject or explain away anything the Bible teaches. And so in the case of the doctrine of the Trinity, we affirm both that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we affirm that there is one God, and then we stumble through life trying to understand that. (laughs) But But we believe it to be true. And we have to hold truths in tension when we come to this topic of faith. Believing God to answer our prayers. Because there are a number of places in Scripture where the Bible does seem to draw a a pretty straight line connection between people believing God would answer and receiving their answer. One of those places is Matthew 9, 27 through 29. We read this. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, it will be done to you. And just before this, Jesus had healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And he said to her in verse 22, Your faith has healed you. Matthew 13, we're told that Jesus did not do many miracles in his hometown. Verse 58 tells us why. He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. In Acts 14, 9, we're told that Paul encountered a crippled man. And as Paul was speaking, he looked at this man who was listening to him and, quote, saw that he had faith to be healed. I don't know what he saw, but I have to think there was some expectancy in the man's face, some, some excitement that tipped Paul off. Hey, I think he really believes he can be healed. And we could go to many more verses and give more examples. So what do we make of all of this? I believe everything I've shared with you throughout this message to be true. And yet, I think we go too far if we ever say that there is absolutely no connection whatsoever to having confidence God will answer our prayer and receiving the answer to our prayer. You know, consider everything that we've covered here today, all the different examples I've given. You have Christians praying for Paul, obviously not really believing that the prayer is going to be answered, and yet in spite of their doubt, Paul is freed from prison. You have Paul praying for his thorn in the flesh to be removed. There is no reason at all to question Paul's faith in God, and yet the thorn remains. We have people commended for their faith in Hebrews 11 who were not delivered from their problems, 
Others were victorious in life, but it was not because they had rejected all fear or doubt. And then we've seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who knew God could deliver them, absolutely believed he would, but somehow, in the same thought as he will deliver me, they also had the thought, ah, but maybe he won't. And yet, that did not stop God from delivering them. And now we've looked at a few verses, and there are quite a few more, that draw some kind of connection to confidence in God, believing God will do something, and receiving what was asked. So what do we make of all of this? How do we, how do we resolve all of this? Well, I think that to affirm all that the Bible teaches, something like this is about the best we can say. That biblically there is some connection between believing God will act and receiving what we desire from God, but it is not absolute as we see God answering prayers and delivering people who were doubtful. We see people commended for their faith, uh, but not being delivered out of difficult circumstances. And again, we see this, in my opinion, the best example of biblical faith of these three uh, Hebrew young men who combine great confidence in God's ability with expectation that he would deliver while allowing for the possibility that he might not. So here's my encouragement to us today. Do not allow anyone to convince you that the only way God will answer a prayer is if you drive all doubt from your mind. Some people believe they they shouldn't even pray if, if they have any questions or doubt about what they're asking for. Don't be convinced of that. First of all, this is nearly humanly impossible. To the extent that people try to do it, it is often artificial. They are often playing mind games. They are almost never vanquishing all question or doubt or concern from their mind. They are almost always simply, to, uh, simply refusing to acknowledge the doubt that resides in their mind. And so don't play that game. It isn't necessary. It is not the key to receiving anything from God. Faith is not mind over matter positive thinking. And if you haven't gotten the message already... I encourage you to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as an example of all the Bible has to say about trusting God for deliverance from difficulty and receiving answers to your prayers. Because in my view, their response to their situation best represents what we see scripturally encompassing everything about faith. They knew God was able. Friends, our God is able. There is nothing our God cannot do. Not only did they think he was able, but they absolutely believed he was going to deliver them. They declared it to the king. He will rescue us out of your hand, O king. We need to be confident in God. Believing that God does want to do great things in our midst, and he does do great things in our midst. But then third, they knew they didn't know everything. They knew that no matter how much men and women try to like rope God in and, 
and, and confine God to what they can understand, they knew that his thoughts and ways remained above their thoughts and ways. And so at the exact same time that they had confidence he would deliver them, they allowed for the possibility he might not declared their fidelity to him either way. And so when we have this thoroughly biblical view of faith, we are not disillusioned in those instances where things don't turn out as we hoped. We we don't have to blame ourselves and carry around that weight that it's our fault that our loved one died or it's our fault that that financial situation didn't turn around for someone we prayed for. We, We don't have to blame ourselves. And we don't blame God for letting us down, which is something that God has never done. God never fails. And so we don't turn away from faith in God when things don't turn out as we hope because we have seen all that scripture says. We have embraced all that scripture says. And so we say along with those three Hebrew boys, God is able, God will, but if he doesn't, I am still going to serve him. There are three important words used in the New Testament that that are all used to to convey, to communicate generally the, the, the same concept. Those three words are faith, belief, and trust. And I think that generally when we use those words, we have thoughts something like this. We think of faith as confidence in God. Belief, I think we usually think of as being intellectually persuaded about God. And then trust, I think we generally think of as getting to that place where we're willing to put our lives in God's care. So where I think we get the most biblical understanding of faith is when we combine our understanding of those three words into a unified whole. We are intellectually persuaded about God to the point that we become confident in God, so confident in God, in fact, that we will completely entrust ourselves to his care and leave the results up to him. Know that we're okay as long as we're in his care. And so when we do that, here is what we are able to do. We are able to have confidence that God will hear our prayers, that God is powerful enough to answer our prayers. We are able to have confidence that he will deliver us, heal us, answer us. But even if he doesn't, We remain confident in his care of us. This is what I believe is biblical faith. Faith in God, not faith in faith. Faith in God, no matter what. If you have bought into the idea that 
that faith in faith is going to be helpful to you. Please hear me today that you are on a road that leads to disappointment and disillusionment. And you can break free from this toxic form of faith that's going to lead you to a really dark place by simply rejecting this wrong idea and fully embracing what the Bible teaches, fully embracing biblical faith. What the Bible teaches and what every one of us here today need is simply to have faith in God no matter what. Why don't you stand?